Welcome back to another week on the Global Health Pursuit Podcast. This week is so special to me because I get to chat with an old friend who inspired me to begin this podcast in the very first place. After traveling to Honduras in 2019 on a service trip with an amazing organization called Humanity and Hope United Foundation, I became inspired to continue learning about the world. That's when I started reaching out to people in the global health space, and one of those people was an amazing human named Kelly Himsel. Today, I got to pick her brain about her journey going from working in corporate America to completely changing her life by moving to Haiti, learning the language, and creating a life dedicated to social justice and advocating for education, healthcare, and entrepreneurship for the less fortunate in Haiti. If you know anything about Haiti's history, Haiti wasn't always the country it seems like today. It was once the richest country in the world. There's a pride that runs through the veins of every Haitian. Natural disasters, political upheaval, and conflict has changed the narrative over the years, but these factors certainly do not discourage the people of Haiti. In this chat, Callie and I speak about the negative effects of volunteerism, the real truth of why some children are put into orphanages, and how we can help and not hurt those in less than ideal situations today. The story of Haiti is a beautiful one, and the work that Callie supports to create more jobs, put more kids in school, and create greater health equity through an organization called La Pointe Foundation is something to definitely admire. Here's a little bit about Callie. Callie is an experienced professional and entrepreneur with a strong history of international relations and social business with a degree in community advocacy and social policy. She specializes in community development and economic empowerment, utilizing over 15 years of branding and marketing experience and over a decade of international work. I hope you enjoy the episode. My name is Hethel Baman, and this is the Global Health Pursuit. Callie, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. I am so like I'm just so stoked to have you just because I think you were you were one of the catalysts for me to even start a podcast. The first time I launched the, this podcast, you were my first episode and I didn't even know that I was going to start yes. a podcast when I did interview you. So this is just like full circle here. I love it. First question I want to ask you, I, yes. I want you to just tell our listeners, what's your story Yes, I love it. Well, thank you so much for having me back. We were joking offline that the first time we met, coronavirus wasn't even a word yet. So yeah. it's been <laughs> such a journey uh, oh, yes. for everybody, I'm sure. So my story, so my story goes back to Minnesota, a small town in Minnesota that I grew up in called Avon. I now have a baby called Nova, which in fact, I didn't know that that was Avon spelled backwards. Ah, <laughs> so I feel so like beautiful. I always joke like the thing I was running from my whole life, like came back full circle and I didn't even know too. <laughs> um, but I grew up in a small town called Avon. Um, I remember just like longing for culture, like always wanting to just do what's different, you know, explore the world out there. 
you know, you watch like the documentaries or, you know, like I remember like social studies class, like all those things really intrigued me. What's funny. I'm like, yeah. going to interrupt you. You're like, I hated social studies. <laughs> I did not like social studies. I think I like being like... a typical Indian person, yeah. like I was a math and science person, yeah. obviously, but yeah. so funny. I do feel like it was kind of like, branded wrongly right like I feel like I feel like naturally like human like humans we find things like really interesting like they should have like branded it less with like history and more of like psychology you know like why people do what they do yeah right Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. yeah so I just remember like always longing for culture when I was at 21 I moved to um, California and I worked as a designer in corporate um, America and similar to your story in corporate America I felt suffocated I felt like this is not what I'm supposed to be doing I know I made for more than this Um, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with corporate America it taught me so much it taught me time management it taught me how to be organized it helped me understand like how leadership works and it was a wonderful company to work with so but through that I kept just having this longing of wanting to go and explore the world and like understand what that looked like and I was in San Diego I started getting involved in a lot of projects in Tijuana I worked with an organization called Youth with a Mission um, and would do a lot of trips over there in 2010 I brother who's my only sibling he was um, killed in like this freak accident at work Um, and that's really the pivotal point uh, of my life so in 2010 that happened and I and I really began to think okay like this is real like this is raw like if something's gonna happen like I have this desire like I need to listen to it and at that time I became a Christian and I began like really just pursuing my faith um, and I started doing mission trips. I went to Africa for a few weeks and then I came back to the States, like, you know, just really excited, really on fire, began like interviewing with different nonprofits and eventually landed in Haiti. And at the time, this is so embarrassing, but at the time, the, these, this mission group I have been working with, they said, okay, we're going to Haiti, you know, next month, you know, we'd love to have you. And I literally was like, oh, it's in Africa. I can't wait to go back. Um, (laughs) So embarrassing. And, you know, being in Haiti for a long time and in Africa, they're very similar in culture, obviously. And Haiti has a rich I don't think you ever told me that. That is so (laughs) So embarrassing. And I think that too, because I think like, I think like sometimes we hear these stories and we think like, oh, we like, you know, grew up like, trenching you know through like the amazon forest or you know have this like really wild childhood and that's not necessarily what happens you know it's like we have an internal longing and i think like for anybody listening to this to really listen to that longing is important so yeah i went to haiti in uh 2010 or i'm sorry 2011 moved there in 2012 the big earthquake everybody talks about was in 2010 moved there full-time in 2012 and then yeah that really just set the path for the last decade of my life you know what's funny i i just there's a similarity between us where after like the first mission trip you started like interviewing different nonprofits. and you said, <laughs> yeah that's literally what i did i <laughs> i mean i went to india i went to honduras and then yeah i was like i just want to learn more I just yeah want to learn more. yeah um, so why haiti you know, good question. Uh, <laughs> are you, what's your Enneagram number? Do you know your Enneagram number? My Enneagram is, I believe it's a three. 
A three. Okay. I'm the achiever. Ah, uh, yes. I have a few of you as friends. <laughs> <laughs> I think like most it's people. It's not good. <laughs> no, no. I love it. My best friend. My best friend is a three. But yeah, I feel like. Um, anyway, so I asked that because I'm a seven. And so sevens are always just like just living in chaos like whatever is the most chaotic thing is like the most intriguing to us and haiti is a great representation just being just the con- just constant stimulation like whether you <laughs> ask, like, whether you ask for it or not there's constant stimulation happening and so yeah i mean really when i went in and moved full-time in 2012 i really had plans just to be there for six months to be honest um but i started like learning the language and experiencing the culture and i just like stayed and i kept staying and i kept staying so i feel like it wasn't necessarily an intentional decision, but I feel like Haiti is unfortunately ranked like, I mean, it's like the top five hardest countries to do business. Like, you know, it's, yeah. it's always like a security level four, which is the same as like Ukraine, Afghanistan, so like the highest security level it can be, um, et cetera. And so I feel like there's always just this challenge that came along with it. Um, that like maybe fed the chaos <laughs> that I was that I was searching yeah. for and uh, yeah during that time as well my first six months I was working for a nonprofit doing church to church partnership and like helping to do some orphan prevention and then really got turned on to the idea of social business or the the you know using business as a means to alleviate poverty which none of us really knew about at the time you know of course it right. existed mm-hmm. and it's always existed but it hadn't been. It wasn't really on top of mind back then. Yeah. I think especially for people like within the US, like that's not something that, I mean, especially for me, like I didn't really hear about that a lot. Right. Yeah. And I think it's like unfortunate, um, especially with Haiti in, in 2010, you know, like there's so many statistics and articles about all the money that was poured into Haiti, you know, and never really reached where it was supposed to go. Um, And it was a lot about like handouts and not, you know, hand ups and a lot of foreigners coming into Mm. new work rather than hiring locals, etc. And so yeah, I think Haiti a lot of times now, you know, a decade later is used as kind of that case study to say like, how can we do how can we do this better disaster relief, right? Um, Kent Annan, maybe Mm. you know him, I interviewed him on our podcast on The Point. And they have a, a an entire like degree now in disaster relief. Like, how cool is that that we're starting oh, to wow. ask those hard questions? Yeah, I, I want to mention that, that Callie has her own podcast called The Point. Mm-hmm. So please go listen to it. It's great. It's very much aligned with this podcast. I will put it in the show notes. So go and look for it. You said something around handouts versus hand ups. Can mm-hmm. you just explain what the difference is? Yeah, absolutely. To to really simplify it, like I mean, this is literally what I would see every day in Haiti is you know people might come in with a bag of rice, like literally a bag of rice, and they would you know give it to a family in the countryside, and the family would have that bag of rice that was imported from America, you know, for what a week or something like that. That would be yeah. hand out, right? Like it's pretty. It's like an instant gratification. Uh, The relief is immediate, but it's not sustained, right? And so, like, what do you do the next week if the American rice isn't imported and that mission team doesn't show up, right? And so there's, like, no, like, sustainability is such a popular word, right? Like, there's no sustainability. because, And so, like, a hand up might be, like, okay, 
let's use all of that money that we spent on mission trips or, you know, importing the rice or the markup or, you know, the subsidized fees. Like, what if we use that to create a agricultural program? You know, Haiti mm. used to be their, their own producer of rice. Like, what if we found ways to empower local farmers? What if we send up farmer co-ops, you know? So really taking away that, you know, I mean, I hate, I hate this, like, overused cliche but like the teach a man to fish right yeah I totally yeah. I never use that term but, <laughs> yes. but I mean I think let's like if, you know depending if you're, if you're not working in this field that's a you know a pretty easy way to think about it like if you you know give right. a man to fish teach a man to fish um you know and then we can go further into that which like people are like well what if the pond is polluted you know what I mean or what if the government owns a pond then what are you supposed to do like what you know like all these things Um, but yeah simply put you know just like thinking about it in in the source of like what it's sustainable and what's just per day and the per day is so much sexier and so much more fun and so much more feeding to our ego um you know than the exhausting analytical long-term but way more helpful, you know, piece of the hand up. The thing that you said around feeding the ego, I think that ties into a lot of why people go on mission trips and why those mission trips often turn into this term called volunteerism. Mm -hmm. And in Haiti, a lot of the volunteerism is around orphanages. Can you talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. I was definitely part of it. Yeah. I it's mean, like a hard lesson to learn because I think a lot yeah. of us actually, it's not like any, like I'm not perfect either, right? Like I did the same thing. I went to India. I went to, I did, I did a service trip where I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing this year. Like, I, I don't know what I'm actually, am I helping anyone here? Like it's very. Like medical missions that I like don't even know how to take blood pressure. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But this was like in a slum school. I went to a slum school uh-huh. and I basically hung out with kids for like three hours a day. And I was like, I'm not doing anything. <laughs> it was fun, but mm-hmm. am I doing anything? So uh-huh. that was, that was, I think the first time I really like started asking those questions like, okay, well, did these kids actually have a better education because I came mm-hmm. here? Yeah. No, I think, I think you're right. And I think, I mean, it gets, it gets complex. So like relating it to orphanages and I'll relate it to Haiti because that's what I'm most familiar with. But um, so the, it's estimated that 80% of kids living in orphanages have parents that are alive. And it's really due to financial burden that they're relinquished to orphanages. So I think a lot of times, you know, I mean, a few hundred years ago, missionaries came in and it was great. And they saw these kids who literally didn't have parents or maybe AIDS wasn't identified yet, whatever it was. And they were losing parents, you know, and the children did need caretakers. Mm -hmm. So maybe at one time, you know, it was something it still exists in America. We just call it different things. Anyway, and so, you know. The problem with orphanages is that it goes back to that sustainability piece. Like, how are they sustained? Kids need food. Kids need education. They need caretakers. They need a house to live in. They need beds. Um, Well, how is it sustained? Where's the money coming from? Well, it ends up, you know, they have to fund it somehow. And so, again, maybe something that was, you know, birthed out of this place of innocence and really a good heart and wanting to care for children. Like, who doesn't want that? you know, turned into to a moneymaker. There's a really great organization called Lumos. Forgive me, listeners, but who wrote Harry Potter? Rolled up. Oh my God. Am I going to forget Rollins? this too? One second. Rollins? 
So well, hold on, hold on. Why am I JK Rowling? JK Rowling. Yeah, JK Rowling. Okay, so don't, <laughs> I have to cut that whole part don't, out. Don't keep it. It's hilarious. They'll send us hate mail. Like, have you never seen Harry Potter? <laughs> How do you not know JK Rowling? <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like, oh, sorry. Um, but, I, I was about to say Roll Doll. I was, yeah, I was like one. almost, I was another, almost there. Another good author. <laughs> but anyway, she created this incredible organization. And I, I can't remember the exact stat, but I think it's like a hundred million dollars a year goes from American mm. churches into orphanages just in Haiti. Like it is mm. wild to think about it. And so much of it is undocumented. And so again, that sustainable, excuse me, that sustainability piece is like, how can we, turn that into something like, you know, similar to the work I was doing with Papillon uh, Enterprise, which was, you know, identifying parents who are at risk of relinquishing their kids due to financial burden, um, training on job skills, giving jobs that are sustainable, and people are able to take care of their own families. And ultimately, that's what they want. So you're a co-founder of Papillon Marketplace. Can you just explain what the model of that was? Hey there, I hope you're enjoying this episode. And if you are, would you do me a tiny favor? Show me some love by doing one or more of these three things. A, click the support this podcast link in the description to donate a few dollars toward the production of this podcast. My dream is to do this full time and your support would mean the world. B, you can write me a review on Apple Podcasts and or rate me on Spotify to give me a boost in the algorithm. Or C, share this episode with someone who would love it just as much as you do. I truly and deeply appreciate you. Let's get back to the episode. Yeah, absolutely. So Papillon Marketplace, I was a co-founder of Papillon um, Empowerment. And then Papillon Marketplace was more of the social business side. And so we chose to split them because to, you know, for finances is to, you know, keep Papillon Marketplace as the one who sells the artisan, you know, goods. And then Papillon Empowerment was really to fulfill the the social need, um, whether it be microloans, etc. But yeah, I mean, again, this idea of social entrepreneurship, which is a fancy word to say, like, jobs you know jobs that have right. a purpose and we have them in america too like think about goodwill think about like all these different you know mm-hmm. you know every company i guess really could be considered a way of alleviating poverty a way of training job skills you know from everybody to starbucks to Publix, you know whatever but yeah so we would uh, like i said identify parents who are at risk of linkering their kids train on job skills and then create like these really incredible artisan projects out of local materials. So finding the best way, again, to be sustainable. Imports are very common in most developing countries because, again, of like that whole rice thing. Like at some point we subsidize, right. we subsidize things. We stopped encouraging local production. Um, so thinking creatively of how can we use local materials, employ local people, um, do job training, etc. And at my time there, we had like over 250 employees. So it was a massive, uh, you know, company and, you know, really, just an incredible experience to see how jobs can 
like ultimately transform people's lives, not just immediately, but really for generations. Because if moms and dads are able to keep their kids in their family, like we don't have, you know, reactive attachment disorder, we don't have like abandonment, and then they're able to pay for school. So now we're getting into education, which is like now moving in like to positive impact on the next generation. You said a term that I'm not familiar with. What is reactive attachment disorder? Oh, geez. I got to go back to my social work brain. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I guess so. How can I explain it? So reactive attachment disorder. This is great. Okay. So you visited orphanages before. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you've seen this. So you walk in the door. You've never seen these kids in your life. You, they don't, you don't even speak the same language and they run up to you and they hug you. Have you had this experience? Yes. yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that's sure. reactive attachment disorder. It's this deep desire, this deep need. I have like kids now, so now it makes me emotional, but like for affection, for attention, yeah. for touch, for eye contact, like it is just wild what these small things do for brain development. And so there is this like reactive attachment disorder is like a type of attachment disorder. But what's specific about this one is it usually like is stemmed from neglect. So the piece of people, kids, children's brains that would, you know, uh, attach naturally with a caregiver no longer for that time being, at least without extreme intervention, like has the means to know how to have healthy attachment. So although they mm-hmm. might run and hug you and play with you for an hour, say you were to adopt them or foster them, well, after a year or so, that immediate attachment wears off and they don't necessarily have the means to know how to continue that attachment. So they push away and they push away in really intense, sometimes violent ways um, because it's this constant fear of once again being abandoned. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense in terms of, you know, if you were to go on like a volu- like a volunteer trip yes. to an orphanage and then you stay there for what a week or two and then yes. you you're attached to all these kids and then the next week they're asking where where they went, you know. And exactly. It's like, oh, they left. That's exactly it. And then that volunteerism that you're talking about, it only like fuels that because now they're not like attaching themselves even to a caregiver that might be working in the orphanage. They're attaching, attaching themselves to you. And then the next week to me, and then the next week to John and the next week to Jimmy. Right. And so it's just perpetuating (laughs) like their way, their brain is being wired to have a short term attachment and not not a long term attachment. Yeah. And that could, that could affect the psychology of that child for years and years and years, right? Because yeah. it's there's it's they're so young at that age. Wow. Okay. So in terms of entrepreneurship and job creation, why is that so important, especially in Haiti? Like what is the job situation there? Like what was the job situation there when you got there? Mm-hmm. When you first came to Haiti? Yeah, I mean I'll I'll preface this by saying like that every stat you read about Haiti has like a different number for population. Like so any statistics coming from Haiti should be taken with a grain of salt because we're not even <laughs> sure how many people live on the island. Um it's anywhere from like nine million to thirteen million, which is a pretty big oh, wow. um, assumption. Yeah. That's a gap. That's a big gap. So the stat from World Bank is that eighty percent of the workforce is what we would call like 
informal uh, employment. So that means it's not necessarily a job you're showing up to every day. There's not necessarily consistency. There's not necessarily consistency in pay. If you've been to, you know, out of the United States, chances are you've seen a street market. Okay. That's a great Mm -hmm. example of informal employment. You know, the mom or dad might have you know, a few goods to sell that day. The next day they might not have those goods or they they might have to stay home because their kid is sick, like whatever. Um, So the, the, I mean, it's gotten increasingly worse since we left at the end of 2019 um, due to kidnapping and political unrest. But at the time, you know, there, there was about the same. There was not a lot of formal employment. There is some factories. There's a place called Sonapi and that, is where all the factories are. And honestly, the factories in Haiti are pretty well run. They are held to high standards. Um, and so that does allow for some formal employment and job training. Um, but again, it goes back to that idea of like giving out a bag of rice or long-term sustainability. Because the thing is, dude, like w- when you have job skills, like they're transferable, right? right. Um, mm-hmm. It's knowledge. Knowledge is power and it's education. And then you can like even teach your kids how to do certain things like if it's you know becoming a tailor a plumber an electrician whatever that looks like it has to start with the education right of being able to get those skills and then be able to transfer them but when we think about places like Haiti you know jobs really have to be the answer mm-hmm. because what are they going to do in foreign aid stops and you know it's not like it's like you know a lot of times it's us as Americans like forcing this foreign aim on them and there's there's so many there's so much yeah. like graffiti around Port-au-Prince that's like get out of my country <laughs> like let us stand on our own um, and so it's really uh, you know learning the language learning the culture really opens your eyes up to what those realities are I think that the whole get out of my country it speaks to the amount of trauma that Haiti has experienced over the years Um, And I think that's also another reason why Haitians themselves want to feel empowered to serve their own people. Mm. And, you know, for people who are listening, who don't, who might not really understand too much of Haiti's history, could you kind of give a little bit of a high level rundown of why this is the case? Yeah, I'll do my best. And for any Haitians listening, please just forgive me. Um, Yeah. I promise I've done my research. But Haiti has the most incredible, most rich history. You know, it just the the pride of it runs through the veins of its people. It's it's something to be outrageously proud in. And and Mm -hmm. what I mean by that is, like, it was the only successful slave overthrow in the Mm -hmm. history of the world. Like... The reason we had, you know, three of the slaves in the United States, et cetera, like all started in Haiti. And so I had this rich history of, for those of you that don't know, like Haiti's literally, I'm in Florida right now. Haiti's literally an hour and a half flight. It's very right. close. It's very close. It's attached to the island of the Dominican Republic, um, just south of Cuba. And so it's not far at all. And it started with um, 
the native people called Tainos. Christopher Columbus and his crew came over and, you know, per usual, unfortunately, you know, killed off the population, discovered the rich soil. Per usual. Yeah, per <laughs> usual. Thank you. Yeah. And, you know, discovered the rich soil, began importing sugarcane and like, and they found gold there. They found all of these, you know, minerals and, and everything, you know, and Haiti at one point was the richest nation in the entire world. Right. And so it was this thriving land. But in order to you can't like sometimes you can't even like imagine that at like now, you know, for Haiti to be the richest country in the world. Right. Don't even think about. Yeah. Right. And that's why there's so much pride because like what happens next is like the Haitians are like, are you kidding me? Like, this is really like, what are you doing to to our nation? And so in order to sustain like the the growth of all of these riches, they needed man labor. And so they started bringing slaves over. Um, and so really that's how Creole was formed. A lot of it is how voodoo was formed and how this culture of Haiti began to be. Eventually it split between the island split. It was once called Hispaniola and it split between the, D- the DR, the Dominican Republic um, and Haiti. And then eventually the slaves greatly outnumbered the foreigners and they said, we've had enough of this. And so there's three main mm. four, like forefathers that led the revolution and Haiti overthrew, you know, the foreigners. And it was this incredible story, you know, this deep African and, and native and Haitian pride is sustained throughout, throughout the Haitian people today. I think it's just so important to really go back and learn about that. I've, for anyone who wants to learn a little bit more, Callie has provided some amazing resources, uh, some YouTube videos, some documentaries that you can go and watch on your own time. So I'll throw those in the show notes. I want to switch gears and talk about the school system in Haiti. Mm-hmm. Uh, what does that look like? And what are some of the multidimensional factors that like why children don't end up going to school? I think you touched mm-hmm. on a couple of um, things mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, sometimes the child is sick and they have to stay home and that yeah that prevents the parents from working and all of that. So can you talk a little bit yeah. about that? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I've obviously talked really passionately about how much jobs are needed in job creation. Um, but I would say even before that, education is really the missing piece. The World Bank actually states that no country in the history of the world has reached sustained economic growth without first creating a universal primary education. Okay, so the World Bank is essentially saying like any systematic change that is needed in developing world like has to start with education and history Mm. has continued to prove that to be true. In Haiti, 90% of the schools are funded by the church that can either be the local church. Um, It's very common for churches to also function as schools during the weekday. Um, That's also very common for Haitian schools to be funded through American church, whatever that looks like. And and really that's showing you that there is not a healthy or consistent public education system. So kids mm-hmm. love going to school. Like in America, I feel like such an asshole because I remember so many times just being like, hey, why are you to school today? Right? Like you hear Americans... <laughs> say like kids say this all the time and it's just like oh my gosh like I feel like such a spoiled jerk 
because it's like this great that's just the privilege talking oh it's so embarrassing it's so embarrassing and so like i did the same thing i know right it's like the the desire for education is absolutely there and i'd say that because i think like sometimes we make these like massive assumptions that like parents don't love their kids so they put them in orphanages or people just don't want to be educated so they don't go to school that's not the truth the truth is the opportunity doesn't exist and so the the other like devastating statistic is that less than six percent of people living in Haiti are, are able to reach high school graduation because of this, because tuition costs are a lot. You're having to pay for books that are imported and you're having to pay for school uniforms. And again, it comes with the sustainability piece. Where's the money coming from? If people don't have jobs mm-hmm. to pay for their kids to go to school, how are the schools being paid for? But the statistics that are like healthy and positive about education is again we've seen it throughout history as it reduces poverty it grows the economy um it improves equality and the other thing is that it lowers risks of unplanned teenage pregnancy it lowers gang violence Mm. it's just literally kids are in school they don't have you know they're, they're less likely to be bullied upon you know to join a gang etc and it also increases the violence against girls and so um, education is something you know that anybody can be passionate about but it really comes down to like well what do you do with that and so one of the organizations that i work with that i am you know just in awe over is an organization called the point foundation so la P-O-I-N-T-E, LaPointe. It's named after a rural city in northern Haiti. And it's all Haitian ran. All we do is we work as a liaison between Americans who are wanting to become involved, um, whether that be through prayer, donations. We have somebody who's really amazing. His name is Ryan. And he actually, he's a musician, so he performs shows. He puts on shows as he like travels around the United States in his, in his camper with his family. And he puts on shows and he tells about the Point Foundation. He talks about education. He talks about job creation, etc. And then people give him tips, you know, in, in his tip jar. And he, you know, passes it on to the Point Foundation. So there's all kinds of ways that. to be involved. But education is definitely that, that starting piece, that building block. There's that. I feel like there's... There's three things. There's the entrepreneurship, there's the education, and then there's the health piece. That's another thing where like if 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 children aren't healthy, they can't go to school, right? If yeah. people aren't healthy, then it kind of puts a wrench into like everything. So one of the stats that I've seen in terms of health in Haiti is that only 8% of the rural population have have access to quality healthcare facilities. The life expectancy is 63 years old, which is super young when you think about it. Mm-hmm. And less than half of Haitian children are getting basic immunizations. So the organization that you're working with, LaPointe Foundation, how are they changing mm-hmm. this? How are they trying to serve the people of Haiti within the health category? Yeah, I mean, I love that question. And I, and I think um, to backtrack a little bit, I, I think what what we found is that it really has to be a holistic approach, right? So like you can have, you can't have job creation without first having education. And you can't have education, as you mentioned, if you don't have healthcare. Um, it also goes back to like, if parents aren't healthy, 
they might pass away and then there's nobody to take care of the kids and then they get put in an orphanage. And so it really has to be a holistic approach of, again, not, not just coming in and doing something, but really allowing for opportunity to be there. So we work directly with a hospital called CMB. It's all Haitian ran. Again, it's in Northern Haiti. It serves a population of 700,000 people, which is incredible. Um, They really focus on what's called community-based healthcare. Um, So that's, you know, maybe, I don't want to say formal, it's not the right word, but maybe a less corporate (laughs) American healthcare is really interesting. Uh, Coming back to America, it's it's been a really interesting (laughs) way to navigate. (laughs) I was like, I thought we were supposed to have amazing healthcare. This is not at all what I expected. Um, So it's a less corporate approach. And so what that might look like is, you know, identifying like a liaison, um, you know, a Haitian liaison at the in this case, um, to go into the community, you know, once a week, interview the moms, interview the dads, take stats, um, you know, ask them, like, how are you feeling? What can we do about it? Have you drink water? Like, you know, really being able to build relationships, um, build trust, again, with the history of Haiti, trust and trust towards the government or trust towards more corporate entities is something that is lacking. And so really being able to create those relationships is essential. So CMB is just an incredible hospital who they have a maternity ward, you know, that is essential in the developing world um, to decrease infant mortality, increase education. Again, if babies are born healthy, right, they have a better chance at, you know, surviving, Uh, but also, uh, you know, their brain development, getting education, eventually becoming, you know, active members of their society. So really it's that holistic approach of like, we can't just have a primary school. Well, we can't just have, you know, a hospital. and that, and then adding that additional piece of the job creation. So, you know, CMB, they employ doctors, they employ engineers, they, you know, are working on a project um, coming up where we're implementing solar panels um, because they're in rural Haiti nice. and gas is hard to get. And well, let's just talk about yeah. the gas prices that increased like just, just recently after like the just all of that political uproar. I was hearing that gas prices were like $50 a gallon. I mean, yeah, it's it's wild. So, you know, unfortunately, most everything is imported in Haiti. Right. And um, the president, Jovenel Moise, was assassinated, you know, at least a year and a half ago now. And it's been really complete anarchy since then. And so what happens in, in countries that have little infrastructure, practically speaking, that means there's not very many roads, right? There's a lot of dirt roads, there's a lot of bumpy roads, but the main highways or freeways that are running through the country, there's, you know, five to 10 main ones in the entire country. And so it's really easy for people to overtake the country by just simply blocking the roads. And so what's happening Mm -hmm. is this like massive influx of gang violence, you know, fueled by X, Y, and Z, who knows, depending upon who you ask, but it, it has political, you know, backing behind it. But so the gangs will simply, you know, block the roads by like burning tires, um, you know, throwing rocks, gunfire, etc., and to gain to gain control. So the gangs will the gangs will you know create this these fear tactics to gain control over certain zones of the country. So what that means is that the transportation halts, and the transportation of goods and services halts as well. 
So that means doctors. That means education. That means schools are closed for months at a time. Um, mm-hmm. Food, the food insecurity is just devastating um, at this point in Haiti. And that also means gas. And for a country like Haiti, um, electricity is, is, we have something, I laugh because I have like PCSD just thinking about this, but we have something called EDH, which is like the electric day IEP. And so it's the, 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 the government still does not have 24 seven electricity and you get electricity every now and then, and it's not regulated and it surges and it's also not timed. So some days you might get it 20 minutes a day, every day, some days you might get it for 10 hours and then not again for two weeks. So imagine hospitals, wow. imagine education systems, uh, you know, just imagine your own home trying to survive off of this. There's That means there's no running water because there's no water to pump, like no electricity to pump the pumps, refrigeration. I mean, right. It's like, we're so used to it here that like, you can't even like fathom. Flush, you can't flush your toilet, like, because there's no running water. Like it's just, it's wild to think about. And so, um, so, so to make up for that, people have created generators, etc. Well, if there's no gas being transported throughout the country, there's no gas to run the generators, which means like mm-hmm. all of these facilities have to essentially shut down. So, to answer, that's a long, long answer, uh, you know, to respond Ooh. to your question. <laughs> uh, but again, it's just this like perpetuating thing, which is why we keep going back to education. Because right, the education—if people can get educated, if kids can get educated—they're um, going to be set up better for the future. They're more likely to stay out of gangs. They're more likely to find jobs. And, you know, generations from now, we can hopefully overcome the hardships that are happening at this time. So I think we talked a lot about doom and gloom. It was a lot of doom and gloom. But I want to I wanna talk about the silver lining. And I want to ask you if you have any, like, success stories or any mm-hmm. anything that you'd like to share that LaPointe Foundation has you know, kind of done to empower Haitians within either the education field, the healthcare field, whatever you want to talk about, but like, what has been something that has given you hope? I mean, that's a, that's a great question. I think I'm always encouraged by the student stories and, you know, right in front of me, I have, you know, some stories from somebody named Johnson, somebody named Bianca, somebody named Fredson. Um, And, you know, their stories kind of overlap in, in the idea that they, you know, again, have this longing to go to school. They may be 12 and are at a first grade education level because their parents couldn't afford to send them any longer. Um, mm-hmm. Again, the, the systems are fairly informal a lot of times, so they might not have had a birth certificate. Um, so they couldn't get into school because they had no formal papers. Um, but the idea that the Point Foundation can be this place of opportunity for people, for children, for moms and dads who have been pushed out of, you know, the typical system in Haiti. And so that it can be this kind of safe refuge. And, it, and it's not that we're even there on the ground as Americans, you know, running it. It's that right. it's Haitians who are running it. And we're simply just standing by and off saying, awesome, you're doing great, cheering you on. What can we do to help? How can we become, you know, how can we support this? And so there's very few organizations that I could say that about. And so I'm especially honored uh, to work with LaPointe. I mean, you're right. It's it, There are very few organizations that basically give all the reins to the people that they're serving, just kind of giving them the resources to do so. And that's really all that they need. 
I want to say thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Callie. This was a great, amazing conversation. I think I learned so much um, and I hope our listeners have learned a lot as well. So thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I would love to hear from anybody who's listening to this. You can get in touch with me personally, Callie at LaPointeFoundation.org and that's C-A-L-L-I-E of LaPointeFoundation.org or go on our website, LaPointe.life. Follow us on Instagram. I am all ears, as I mentioned. You know, our friend Ryan plays musical shows to support what we're doing. If you have any ideas of what that looks like and how you can get involved, I would love to hear from you. And all of our information will be in the show notes as well. So you can check that out. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you'd like to learn more about today's topic and guest, head over to the show notes linked in the description of this episode. There you can get access to resources, links, and ways you can get involved in the pursuit for global health. And if you love this episode, don't forget to write me a review on Apple Podcasts and rate the podcast on Spotify. It helps me get in front of more people just like you and continues to elevate the causes we are so passionate about. I'll see you in the next one.